everybody. Uh, glad to see you online today. Is it just me, or does it seem like the world has gone completely insane in the last week or so? It does feel that way. I know I'm not the only one. And frankly, we need to talk about it. I'm starting a new series um, today on identity, and it just, um, this topic we're going to talk about today fits right in with this series. And so I'm going to start here. In February of this year, uh, a 25-year-old man named Ahmad Aubrey went for a jog in southeast Georgia. During that jog, he was accosted, uh, eventually assaulted, and finally killed by two men who thought he was a burglar. It took two months for those two men to be arrested. And there was a commentator that I, I read who said, had it not been for public outcry, there was a very good chance that absolutely nothing would have happened. Fast forward to May the 25th. 46-year-old George Floyd was arrested for passing counterfeit money. He died in custody on the scene, and two autopsies have supported the idea that the cause had to do with compression on his neck um, due to a, a restraint technique um, used by the arresting officer, even though Mr. Floyd was not resisting arrest. Now, we also need to note something. The arresting officer had 18 complaints of excessive force in his 20-year career. 18 complaints. In the pressure cooker of COVID-19 lockdown, <laughs> decades of pent-up rage over abuses erupted over the weekend. And we see it on our TVs, and we see it on our news feeds, and it seems like the world has gone crazy. And yes, we need to talk about it. Now let me hit the pause button for just a second. Because I know, I know you're tired. I know you're tired of this. Every single news outlet are running these stories 24-7, and if it's not about the, the original um, uh, issues. It's about the, the things that have happened just in the last few days. And, and now it seems like it's even entangled with politics, whether we like it or not. And it's the beginning of an election cycle. And the whole thing is just a hot mess. It is. And many people that I've, I've talked to wonder the same thing that I've wondered. What do I do with this? What do I do with this hot mess that nobody can ignore anymore? Look, even if you've never had a racist thought, or think that you haven't had a racist thought, or even if you've never had any type of negative experience with local police departments, in the back of your mind, if you're human, there's probably a part of you that's saying something's wrong. Something is wrong with what's, what's going on here. Whether I understand it or not, obviously there's a problem. 
And, and like a lot of other pastors around the country, I found myself at a complete loss for words. I just sat there kind of dumbfounded that here we are in 2020 still dealing with some of the issues that keep coming up over and over again. Things that you know we heard about in the 60s. Uh, things that we dealt with in Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, and the list goes on and on. And here we are again dealing with these same types of things. And it seemed like the more I went looking for answers, it just stirred a whole lot more questions. At least it did it for me. But you know what? Here's the other thing that I found myself doing. Because I didn't have any words to say, I found myself listening. Not to the news outlets, but rather I found myself um, more interested in listening to my African-American friends. Now, before I move on, I am certain that my comments, frankly the comments of any pastor, but mine today will, will very likely agitate some people and disappoint others. I understand that. It, it's that type of mess. But the thing that I'm going to ask you to do today um, with all of this that's going on around us and all of our, our personal um, you know, ideas and our ideologies and everything that's within us, the thing that I'm going to ask you to do is to, to hit the pause button yourself and listen to the Scripture. To go back to the Word, because as Christians, we, we say that this is what informs our faith. This is what informs our behavior and actions. And so I'm going to ask you to listen to it. To some of the things that are in here that we, we probably need to pay attention to. And, and that's not the only part of it. It's not just that you're going to listen to the text, but that you would make some type of a commitment to ask God to illuminate what's in here for you. I'm going to ask you to do that. And I'll, and I'll tell you up front, it's, it's a hard task. But if we're going to be serious about faith, if we're going to be serious about following Jesus, there are some things that we need to pay attention to. There's some things that we need to wrestle with um, more than just superficially. And so I'm going to ask you to listen to the text. Because when it comes to the poor and when it comes to the oppressed, God is quite direct about those things. And I've, and I've noticed the more that I read that it's, it's more clear than what I realized. And so we're going to go through just a couple of passages. I want you to see uh, a couple of things so that you can get a sense of what the trajectory of the Scripture is. We don't try to build our theology or our ideology or our philosophy on any one thing, but we rather what we want to do is we want to see where those points are within the text that give direction to certain ideas, certain things that God is trying to teach us. It's trying to form in us and trying to shape in us. And so just listen to the scripture and ask God to illuminate it for you. In fact, what I'll do is let me just pray that right now. Lord Jesus, I ask you as we look into your text, to your word, to the thing that you left for us, um, that you might uh, help us to see the bigger picture that you're, you're trying to create, that we would ultimately see your heart in your word 
and that we would um, respond accordingly. Thank you, God, that we, we have that um, to guide us because we need it desperately in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. So when God first established his relationship with Israel, uh, there's a couple of things that, that came up. And, and here's one of them that I want you to see. The book of Exodus if you know your Bible, Exodus chapter 20 is where we see the Ten Commandments and the things that follow are often called the Torah, the law. These were the guidelines that Israel was supposed to live by. Here's what we find in, in uh, chapter 23, verse 6. Do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. Don't deny the justice. And then in another book, Deuteronomy chapter 15, uh, it's it's an important verse. There will always be poor people in the land. We live in a fallen and broken world. Of course, there will always be those who are at least economically disadvantaged. Therefore, I command you, strong word, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Very outset. God is creating the relationship that he, that he has with Israel. And what does he say? You need to pay attention to those who are poor and to give them justice. This is part of the Torah. This was the part that they were supposed to live. Now, over a period of time, uh, Israel you know, lived by this law and there were certain parts that they ignored and certain parts that they used to their advantage like human beings do and we forget things and, and so God sends prophets. And the Old Testament prophets call the people back to the relationship they have with God. And we see this over and over and over again. And by the way, if you really want an earful or an eyeful in this particular case, read the book of Amos. Oh boy, ouch. Amos has a lot to say about the poor and the oppressed. But I want to take you um, to just a couple of verses. Some of them are going to be very familiar to you. And I want to remind you of these things because I needed to be reminded of them myself. Here's the first one. Isaiah chapter 1. God says very clearly, Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. And notice this, seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Isaiah probably has one, one of the, the longest uh, books of prophecy in the entire Old Testament. Chapter 1. The word of the Lord comes, takes over Isaiah, First thing he says, quit doing wrong, start doing right, and seek justice. Justice for everyone. Uh, moving on, Zechariah, uh, another one of the Old Testament prophets, and the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty said, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Don't oppress them. Do not plot evil against each other. 
calling people back to this relationship that God established way back in Exodus and Deuteronomy, trying to remind the people that, hey, this is important. This is part of the heart of God. You see, here's the thing. God puts safeguards in place for women who are widowed, women in general, but uh, widowed, orphans, foreigners, strangers, immigrants, refugees, and the poor. He puts safeguards in the law for them. They're on his heart. And I'll give you the last one here. Uh, It's the one that uh, just strikes me very hard. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He, meaning God, has shown you, O mortal, what is good. He's shown you what the good things are. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now, this is interesting. Because obviously justice is part of it. And this isn't just for the elites. This isn't just for those who are ruling. These aren't the people who are are only in power. This is everybody. This is what the Lord requires of you, that you would act justly and to love mercy. And by the way, this word can also mean kindness, to love kindness and then to walk humbly. And, And the fact of the matter is, is that true wisdom comes out of humility. I was talking with somebody not too long ago and um, the course of the conversation, we were talking about the kinds of people that we like to to work with and staff members. And and I made the comment that one of the things that I look for in uh, people that I I work with is is that I want to see that they've actually had some some challenges, um, failures. And and the person kind of asked me, well, why would you want that? And it's like, well, largely because humility comes with it. It's hard to work with people who don't have any humility. And, and here, here we find in the text that very thing, that it's about justice and kindness and the humility that we have in our hearts that is what the Lord actually requires of us. That doesn't mean that they're humiliated. It doesn't mean that they're, they're broken because of the experience, but there is a certain amount of humbleness that says, you know what, I don't know everything. And that kind of humility is something that God wants from us so that he can teach us. He wants us to be ultimately teachable. In the New Testament, we find that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's relationship with humans. So so what we're looking at here is when God established his relationship, when he's called people back to the relationship, and now let's look at the fulfillment of the relationship this person that we call Jesus. And, and I want to read this passage to you, and it's, it's familiar to you. It's in Luke chapter 4. But I want you to hear the, the full context. And so let me, let me uh, read this out loud for all of us, and, and you, can, you can see this. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. So it's his hometown. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release for the captives, 
and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You look through that list, preach good news to the poor, proclaim release, set the oppressed free, the healing of, of sight for the blind, which may be physical, may be spiritual, probably both, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is how Jesus characterized himself. And, and here's the thing that I want you to think about, if at all possible. If we claim to be Jesus' disciples, if that's, if that's something that we're truly after, is to, to be the kind of people who listen for God and respond to the things that we hear, if, if that's the kind of person we want to be, would we not be anointed to do the same things that Jesus did? In fact, other places in the scripture, it says you will go and do more. But Jesus characterized himself this way. The Spirit of the Lord is on him. If the Spirit of the Lord is on you, then you are anointed for these same things. And as you can see, the poor, the oppressed, still on God's heart. That hasn't changed at all. You see, the, the, the issue here is that justice is a big deal. Justice is a huge deal to God. And by the way, um, somebody, um, I remember a professor of mine made this comment, and I, I, I think it bears worth repeating, that there has been no revival, spiritual revival in the church anywhere that has not included some type of ministry to the poor. You see, the Spirit of, of God is, is there with a group of people who are disadvantaged, uh, who, who don't have the same advantages as, as others do. And that's where God's heart is. And I know that's sometimes hard to, to wrap your mind around, and, and I get it, but if you want revival to begin in the church, then at some level, an effort has to be made to minister to the poor, to the oppressed, to have consideration for them. When all of this began to blow up <clears throat> um, over the weekend, one of the things that I realized very quickly is I didn't have any perspective. Why would I? I'm white. I'm middle-aged. I'm middle class. I have had every advantage of, um, that this country has to offer available to me. Whether I took, took advantage of them or not is another story. But when I get pulled over, um, which doesn't happen often, thankfully, but when I do, I'm not worried about my life or my, my physical well-being, I'm, I'm normally just worried about how much the ticket's going to be. I don't have a perspective like others do. And so for me, I, I needed to reach out to some friends, people that I've known for decades, since uh, in one case, junior high school. And um, I simply just asked them for their stories. I said, I don't have a perspective. Can, can you share with me Yours And what I found was some very generous people who were willing to spend a lot of time helping me understand things that I, I just didn't know. 
And what they said broke me. I had no real idea what some of them had experienced. And, and what I heard, frankly, wasn't right for any human being. Nobody should have to go through some of that stuff. And so I asked my friends what they wanted people to know. And, and I, I'll, I'll say this, I'll, I'll say this right at the outset. Part of the joy of the conversation um, wasn't the fact that they, they wanted people to know certain things. They were just happy to share what their experience was so that you know, maybe there would be some empathy there. And I was, I was just so thankful that they were willing to, to explain things to me very slowly because uh, sometimes it takes me a long time. But one of my friends made this observation, and I won't forget it. And, um, he said that step one in any 12-step program, any one of them uh, that treats addiction or other issues, every one of them, is, the first step is always to admit that, that there's a problem to begin with. Because you can't make progress if you don't, if you don't admit that there's an issue. And I thought that was a really insightful thing. And, and so the question is, is, can we do that, Thrive? Can, can, can we say, yes, there is a systemic problem, that there is racial in, inequality in adjust, and injustice in the United States? Can we say that? Can we stand up with those people and say, there's something wrong here? And this underlying issue is complex and it is ugly and there is a problem. That's step one. I, I will. And the question is, will you join me in that? And look, and here's the thing. I don't know what the next step is. I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, but here's what I'm, what I'm committed to do. I'm committed to trusting God and to keep talking with my friends. I don't know what that looks like. But I'm willing to say, yes, there's an issue. And, and second, I'm going to trust God to lead me to whatever that next step is. And my guess is it's going to be different for you than it is for me. Uh, and that's, that's, that's fine. Um, you may have another step that you want to take that's much more radical. Or you may have a step that where you think God is calling you to, to, to get involved in a different way. I, I don't know, but let's trust God to show us what that is. Look, again, we assume that God is speaking to us all the time. And the question is, as we watch the news and we see all of the chaos and all of the craziness that's, that's happening around us, the, the object here is to, to simply say, God, what is it that you want me to know? Where is it that you want me to develop? What can I learn from this set of circumstances too? That's discipleship. That's sanctification. That's holiness. That's development and growth and maturity and all those things that we talk about. Look, I know, I know, I know. There's a lot of people out there who will say, yes, there's inequality, but I can't get behind looting and rioting. I, I understand that. I, I hear what you're saying, but hold up, hold up. First of all, protesters, looters, and rioters are not always the same group of people. In fact, there's some evidence to suggest that you've got some very distinct groups that are out there in the streets doing very different things. Protesters protest, looters loot, rioters riot. And they're not always the same group of people. 
And you've got to keep that in mind. And of course, um, you're going to have opportunists, uh, people who will take advantage of the circumstances and the chaos to go ahead and, and put a few extra trinkets in their pocket. They're going to do that. <clears throat> They're not necessarily the protesters who are looking for justice and, and equality. And there seems to be a growing amount of evidence that there are outside agitators who are embedding themselves into the protest, causing violence and destruction of property and rioting later on down the road just to delegitimize the protest. And we need to seek justice for that. Real justice for those kinds of things. And, and the deal is don't lump everybody all together. It's, it's, it's a bad practice. It's an oversimplification. It's the same thing as saying that all police officers, all law enforcement are bad or incompetent. That's not true. You do have some bad apples. We know that. There is no reason why the officer in, in Minneapolis, Minnesota should have had that badge. There is none whatsoever. That is a leadership problem within that department that needs to be addressed, and I hope that they do. But if you've got 18 counts of excessive force 20 years on the job, why was he still on the job? I don't understand that. And so we can't lump all the people together. And so the challenge that I have for all of us is please resist oversimplifying a very complex, very ugly set of circumstances. Don't do it. Resist that temptation. Ask the deeper question, what's really going on here? Don't just accept what you hear from the news, but ask the question why. What's happening? You owe that not only to yourself, but the people around you. And frankly, you owe that to your Lord. Go before God and say, God, what's happening here? What is it that you need me to see? Don't oversimplify it. You do everybody a disservice when you do that. And by the way, don't oversimplify it. And if you are going to oversimplify it, please stay off of Facebook. It doesn't help the circumstances at all. Here's the second thing I want you to think about. Challenge yourself to listen harder to your friends that are African American, Native American, Latino, Asian, Things that we typically, or groups of people that we typically call, um, you know, ethnic minorities in this country. Listen a little bit harder to them. You know, watch your language. Um, think about the things that you're saying and how you're going to say them. Look, it's, it's something that I say very often. You've heard me say this that every single time we go to church and we open up the Bible, we're tourists. There are cultures in uh, uh, culture here and customs that we don't fully understand. And we have to get to some of that cultural and historical context in order to understand the book. The same thing is true in the United States. There are multiple cultures here. That's just the reality of it. And when we're um, interacting with them, we have to be aware of them. I had a conversation with a friend of mine and I said, I don't understand African-American culture. And what he said to me is, I, I totally understand that, but he has to be aware of white American culture. Has to be aware of it. And I thought, my goodness, that's right. 
And so if we could just pause for a moment and see people as human beings and saying they have a different perspective, a different culture, how can I bridge that gap and just be real? Be, be sensitive to it, of course, but understand that we all didn't grow up in the same set of circumstances. Mm. And finally, please don't give in to fear. Because fear can become an idol and a nasty one at that. I was talking to a friend um, who was telling me about somebody they know who said to her that they were afraid to watch TV because of all the craziness that was going on, but at the same time they were afraid um, to miss out by not watching because there might be some information that they needed to know. And, and here's the deal. Take a media fast. Just unplug for a little while. Not so that you're sticking your head in the stand, but rather that you have some perspective. Fear. Look, here, here's the thing. Our hope is in the Lord. And He loves justice and He loves mercy. The circumstances that we're living in are strange, to say the least. I mean, I thought COVID-19 was enough. <laughs> and then we add the racial tensions bubbling up to the surface. And now we are confronted with um, all sorts of things. And there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of hurt. Um, and uh, all of us, I think, are wondering, what do we do with this? So here's the thought. To sit with the Lord and say, very simply, God, what is it that you want me to know? What is it that you want me to see? What is it that you want me to hear? And Lord, what needs to change? What is it that you want to shape and develop in me? Here's the thing. You're not responsible for anybody else. You are responsible for you. And when you are faced with these massive, complex, systemic, ugly sorts of issues, the best thing to do is to go back and chase after the presence of God and ask him to illuminate those things for you so that you can have wisdom, so that you can do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God, allowing him to shape you and guide you. I don't know what that means for you, but I know that at the very least, um, it's causing me to ask God a few uh, harder questions. Let's pray. God, you know all things. You see in every heart. You have seen the good in humanity. You've seen the bad in humanity. And I believe that you lament and grieve over the, the ugly side of humanity. We are met for so much more than what we become. 
And so, God, I pray simply that you would start with me in my own heart to develop me and to be the kind of person that you want me to be, a person who who does um, justice and love mercy and kindness and who walks humbly with you. And I pray that every person that's uh, praying with me today would would do the same thing, start with themselves, Um, choose to, to not oversimplify but to listen to harder to the people and, and simply ask them to share their story um, and, and ultimately be driven back to you saying, oh God, what do I do with this? And Lord, I'm going to trust you because I know that you are a God of redemption and reconciliation and restoration and that your spirit of truth will guide us to all truth. And uh, I pray, Lord, that in our lifetime we would see that. We would see that kind of truth. Mm. Thank you for um, being with us, for loving us, for giving us each other to love, and allowing us to be your hands and feet on this earth. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. And everybody said,